Hi, and welcome to the Crowdsourcing Sustainability Podcast. My name is Michaela. And I'm Ryan. And we're your co-hosts. This podcast exists to help inform, inspire, and empower people to take action on climate. We'll do this by bringing on wonderful sustainability leaders, listening to their stories, and exploring meaningful actions we can all take. Today, we're lucky enough to speak with Dr. Elizabeth Bagley, who's been working at the intersection of climate and education for the last 20 years, starting out with sea turtles and coral reefs in Kenya to working in Glacier National Park, teaching high school science, designing online courses, and being in charge of sustainability at the California Academy of Sciences Museum in San Francisco. Most recently, Elizabeth joined Project Drawdown, which is the world's leading resource for climate solutions to lead their Drawdown Learn program. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, what a pleasure. Thanks everybody for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're thrilled to have you here. Uh, So to start off, I just want to dive in a bit on your your background. It sounds like you've had this wide-ranging and super interesting path to get to where you are today, and I'd just love to hear more about it in your own words and hear really what some of those key moments were and decisions and your thought processes that led you down this path to actually get to Drawdown Learn. Thanks for asking. I mean, I can, you know, let's go back. Let's go back to when I was three. How about that? And we'll start there. <laughs> um, but actually, in all, in all, Ria, in all um, seriousness, uh, it kind of does go back to some of my earliest memories. And, you know, I grew up on a sheep farm in Western Wisconsin. And, um, you know, we didn't, you know, we didn't have screens back then outside from television once in a while, but we spent a lot of time outside and a lot of time connecting with nature. And I just really loved exploring. And I think that that experience so young really shaped the way that I that I see the world. And, you know, that kind of that thread pulled through into high school where a couple of friends and I organized the first Earth Day cleanup for our school. And we got a day off of school to go clean up the town, which is pretty awesome. And that that's continued since, which was pretty great. And then um, in college, I thought I wanted to study medicine part. And this was partly and, and this is something that, you know, I think crowdsourcing sustainability is so helpful with uh, showing what kinds of professions and and are out there related to sustainability but I had no idea. I just, you know, basically knew I could be a lawyer, a doctor or a teacher or you know, I had a really limited view of what what I could do as yeah. a job. And so, I don't know, did you did you fall into that at all Ryan or did you have a bigger a bigger uh view when you were going to college? Oh, I had no idea what I wanted to do going into college. <laughs> I was just floating along. Um yeah. Being in college, I still don't know exactly what I want to do. I just know that I want to do something involving sustainability. And I love that you know that. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing back then. Now, granted, that was like 20 years ago, right? So um, I was pretty set on wanting to be a medical doctor and then took a class with a bunch of other undergraduates who wanted to be medical doctors. And I was like, Ooh, I don't fit here. Like, This is not <laughs> where I want to be. And we, in that class, we actually had a whole unit on ecology and I didn't know what ecology was when I got to college. And uh, we did this, we worked on this prairie and did some prairie restoration work and everyone hated it except me. And I was like, Oh, Hey, 
I think I like this. I think I want to do stuff more related, directly related to the environment. And uh, I don't know what that's going to look like yet, but I don't think I want to be a doctor, like a, like a medical doctor. And, uh, and that kind of upended me a little bit. And I ended up uh, studying in Kenya for a year. And I would highly recommend to anybody listening to uh, study abroad if you're in college or take a gap year and, and go abroad or if, you know, wherever you're at in your life, like live somewhere else for an extended period of time, because that experience for me was really, really transformative, right? Like I got to see how people in another part of the world lived and live, you know, I was part of the community with them and just that experience helped shape my perspective on these interconnected systems that we're all part of, right? So there's the ecological systems, there are the social systems, the economic systems, all of these interwoven and overlapping systems. And some of them we create and, and others we don't. And figuring out, you know, what levers we can pull to make those systems more equitable for everybody and, you know, to make those systems stronger so that both people and the planet can thrive together instead of choosing one over the other really came came kind of top of mind when I was living in Kenya. So um I mean I guess we started when I was three so this could go on for like three hours <laughs> stepwise every step. But long long story short, I realized that I, I going to Kenya really widened my view of the world, right? It made my my worldview so much bigger, so much more, uh, I was going to say accurate, but I mean, I don't know if there's ever accuracy in a worldview, but it, it just made it also much more empathetic where, you know, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't as righteous as I was before because everybody has their own story and everybody's on a different place on their sustainability journey. And to make assumptions about other people and how they're living and why they're doing what they're doing without really understanding or connecting or empathizing with them isn't cool. <laughs> like that's not how, that's not how our, our society needs to work. So, you know, coming back from Kenya, I really realized that one of the leverage points that I could focus on was actually through education. I really love connecting with people. I love meeting them where they're at on their sustainability journey. And, you know, helping and guiding them to that next step on their journey. Um, you know, realizing that some people, um, you know, have never ever thought about or necessarily even heard about food waste as an incredible climate solution and helping them figure out, you know, what's the first step that they could take that would make sense in their life today versus people who, you know, already advocated for curbside composting in their local community, right? But then also guiding that person onto like, what's the best next step that you can take? So that kind of all led me to, um, to graduates, to teaching. So I taught uh, middle and high school science for a couple of years and then realized I didn't actually know a whole lot about how to teach and how to <laughs> effectively uh, communicate with, with people. And I went back to graduate school and that was where I studied uh, educational psychology. So basically looking at how people learn and marrying that with environmental science. So how do people learn about the environment? And that that foundation launched me into a summer internship at the Walt Disney Company, which was incredible. And that to me, that was a huge turning point for me in terms of working with really a really diverse group of 
colleagues who where we were making, you know, we were, we were making video games and we, you know, I was working for the first time with artists, like real artists, like people who went to art school. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to work. I don't want to be an academic. I don't want to work mostly in the traditional sense, kind of by myself in an ivory tower. I want this kind of interdisciplinary collaborative workspace. And so kind of I've, you know, from that point, I've always kind of sought out jobs where I can work with really interesting, unique, diverse skill sets of you know, from other people and interact with the public in really meaningful ways. And that's where now at Project Drawdown and leading up um, Drawdown Learn, I have the the immense privilege of thinking about how do we connect different audiences with climate solutions that really inspire them to take action, right? In their homes, in their communities, um, you know, regionally, globally, locally, how do we make sure that these solutions are really um, approachable? And and the three R's I like to think about, how do we make sure that they're researched, which we we know they're researched because that's what Project Drawdown has been doing for a while. Um, how do we make sure they're, that the solutions are really relevant and relatable. So researched and relevant and relatable. For I people. like that. Thanks. So could you give a brief summary of what Drawdown is uh, for those of our listeners who do not know? I sure can. Uh, Project Drawdown is a nonprofit organization. So we have been around since um, just since about 2014. And in 2017, the group came out with uh, the publication, New York Times bestseller Drawdown, which was a compilation of the climate solutions that are in hand today. So on the ground, in action today, and the incredible impact of those solutions if they were scaled globally. So we, um, you know, we work with all sorts of folks, cities, universities, corporations, philanthropies, policymakers, communities, educators, activists, and, and many more people to really turn um, the Project Drawdown solutions uh, into climate action. So we're supporting efforts to really move solutions forward and move the world towards drawdown. And drawdown is actually a scientific term that um, that is focused on that future point in time when levels of greenhouse gas emissions in the atmosphere finally stop climbing and start to steadily decline. And our mission is to reach that point, that point of drawdown as quickly, safely, and equitably as possible. Love it. Just like completely speaking my language. The the mission resonates so strongly with me. And I remember reading the book uh, like within a year or so of when it came out. And I found it really eye-opening just how much I think that helped kind of change the conversation a little bit. So it got people looking at the solutions and gave an actual goal. So like the goal being drawdown is like, okay, now there's a specific moment in time that we can just say in a word. Uh, and I found all of that to be very powerful. So I'm, I'm grateful for all that work um, and just super happy to see that the team keeps growing. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. And I have to say, I mean, I wasn't on the team. I, I joined the team in March of this year. So actually, um, 
in two days. It's my my five month anniversary, so I'm pretty <laughs> new on the team. And so, you know, I I got the book when it first came out too, and just really savored not only the language, you know, the, the shift away from doom and gloom, and really toward. Uh, towards hope and opportunity and possibility and just calling out, Hey, look, look here, like look over here, right? In this area, we are going to show you that there are so many solutions that we have in hand today that we can scale up to reach drawdown. Like, let's do it. And it's this invitation for writing the next chapter of life on earth, the invitation for creating the future we want instead of the, pull the covers over your head and go back to sleep and, and hide from the world kind of world that I think we'd been, uh, we'd been hearing from a lot of environmental organizations for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. It also just completely underscored the fact that climate solutions are almost always win-win-wins. So, you know, it's good for the the planet, obviously, but it's almost always good for people and it's almost always profitable. So I just loved how it kind of laid that out and showed you so many different avenues uh, to getting to where we need to go. Like it also opens it up to almost anyone can pitch in and be a part of this. So it was was just beautiful overall. Well, thanks for saying that. And I think, you know, I'll give a lot of credit to our uh, editor of chief editor in chief rather of the drawdown review, Catherine Wilkinson. Uh, She wrote the most recent publication from Project Drawdown is called The Drawdown Review. And that came out in March of 2020. And it's available for free on our website, drawdown.org. And in it, uh, we write a lot about co-benefits, which is exactly what you're talking about, Ryan, right? Climate solutions are rarely just climate solutions. They're almost always climate solutions you know, or and public health solutions climate solutions and biodiversity solutions. And, you know, on and on, there's all of these amazing co-benefits that come with Im- uh, with implementing climate solutions. And so we write much more about that in the Drawdown Review. And, and I love that that's the direction that our communications are going in because it's not like, okay, just it's, it moves away from the the fallacy of I recycle, so I'm done. Like I'm a good mm-hmm. person and I've done my job. And we know there's loads of research that shows that there there are, you know, there there are groups of people where that is how they function, right? Like you do one thing and you've checked the box and so you're good and then you move on and you don't think about it again. But really this is thinking about a, a, a tapestry of solutions, right? Or a mosaic of solutions. And we need all of them. And we can work together to implement them all at different scales. And it's going to make the world an awful lot better when we, as we implement all those solutions. Yeah, 100%. So, so kind of pivoting into your specific role at Drawdown, you're, you're the director of Drawdown Learn. Could you, could you tell us more about what that is specifically, kind of why it exists and the the strategy behind it? Absolutely. So Drawdown Learn is really the next step with Project Drawdown in terms of connecting with different audiences in really research-relevant and relatable ways, right? So when we think about what does, uh, you know, what does the general public need from Project Drawdown? It, It looks different 
from what university professors might need from Project Drawdown. So right now we're creating different, uh, we're, we're looking at different audiences and figuring out you know, what we can provide for them to help them take the next step on their climate journey or on their sustainability journey. So to give you a really concrete example, we are working on a series of of videos about climate solutions. So in our drawdown solutions framework, we uh, talk about the three S's and I, I won't belabor this point too much. Uh, I can point everyone to the Drawdown Review, but I love this new framing that we have in the Drawdown Review where we focus on uh, reducing sources. So the first S is sources. The second S is supporting sinks. So reduce sources, support sinks, and improve society. So sources, uh, sources, sinks, and society are the three S's of solutions. So all of the climate solutions that we have as part of the Drawdown Framework fit into those three buckets. And some of them fit into multiple buckets, right? Some some of the sources um, are also, could be sinks as well, especially when we think about food, agriculture, and land use, and land sinks. And um, so when we think about communicating with um, and educating the public, you know, that framework is really helpful. Um, but it's there's still a bit of activation energy to really get people to to understand it. So these videos are going to dive into each of what we call our sectors. So for example, I mentioned food, agriculture, and land use. So we'll have a video that talks about, so so what is food, agriculture, and land use? Like why should we care about that as a source of heat trapping gases in the atmosphere? And what are the solutions that we already have in hand that we can put into place? So kind of really just spelling out the science behind climate solutions and uh, bringing people along for the ride in terms of showing solutions in action, talking to some of the experts who are implementing them and uh, inspiring, hopefully, people to take action in their own communities. That's awesome. So what is the impact of integrating lessons on climate and sustainability into school curriculum? How does that help spread knowledge about this huge topic? And do you have any success stories that stick out to you? Uh, Michaela, there's so many great things in that question that I am excited to talk about. So we've been talking for the, over the last five months that I've been at Project Drawdown, I've been talking to lots of different folks in both formal and informal education spaces to figure out what's needed. And what I get excited about when I think about what Project Drawdown can give to the world and most specifically to like K-12 education or even to be a little more nerdy, like P-21, which is from like pre-kindergarten through college, is really thinking about um, how can we change the conversation from just being about the science behind the problems to really focusing on the science behind the solutions and really inspiring innovative and entrepreneurial thinking around what needs to be done. And I don't mean that I want every student to become, um, you know, the next tech rock star in a solutionary because we know that technology alone is not going to it's not going to save us and we have the solutions that we need right now to actually reach drawdown we need the will and we need people who are actually going to step up and take action and so when i think about what we need in education is we need more 
project and problem-based learning that's tied to real-world phenomena that people actually care about, right? So that's where we talk about it being relevant and relatable. Like, let's not, let's move beyond kind of rote memorization and and worksheets and, and science labs that don't actually mean much. Maybe they explain a phenomena, but they're completely disconnected from a student's real life. So how can we connect climate solutions to the kinds of content and skills and values that we really want the leaders of tomorrow to to hold. And so that's something that I get really excited about. And I think, uh, you know, beyond K-12, I think a lot about community college and how can we support people who um, are moving maybe more into a trade, right? And how can we get more solar panel installers and wind turbine operators? And how how can we inspire more people to go into those fields and to be really proud to be in those fields because they are absolutely, you know, climate solutionists on the ground every day, right? I think there's really a cultural and identity shift that needs to happen where you don't need to be a climate scientist or an activist to be involved in the climate movement, right? We need everybody. We need everybody from, you know, and and every job that anyone has can have something to do with climate. Right. And I um, created this course with LinkedIn Learning that was a, a, it was a super fun experience called the Employee's Guide to Sustainability. Really thinking about any employee anywhere from finance to custodial to, um, you know, the CFO and I guess that's finance, but and everywhere, <laughs> everywhere in between can can have sustainability and, and climate work as part of their job. and we encourage them to do that, right? So when we think about supply chains and how climate change is likely going to disrupt supply change, supply change for um, any number of products, like that's everybody's, everybody cares about that, right? So when we can't get iPhones or we can't get toilet paper or whatever it is, like if climate change is part of what's disrupting that supply chain, like let's make sure that everybody who's working at those companies making those products really are are thinking about climate change as being and climate change solutions as part of their job and something that they um they need to be thinking about. Yeah, that would be fantastic. So like can you take me a bit deeper into these videos and how you're thinking of getting them out there and how they help make this happen? Like are you going to universities mostly, or just a little bit more about the strategy of how you get from A to B uh, on that? So, you know, videos alone are not going to inspire behavior change. And and I don't know, you know, we aren't kidding ourselves and thinking that just by putting videos into the world, we're going to inspire action. I mean, there's Mm-hmm. loads of incredible research. Some of my favorite research comes from Rare, rare.org, and the folks there who do just really great behavioral science research about how do we change behaviors related to climate. Um, but the videos for us are meant to be kind of knowledge builders about climate solutions with the target audience being, uh, yes, definitely for, um, you know, students and professors and probably high school plus, right? Uh, and and as well as some audiences that I hadn't necessarily considered before, but 
audiences like philanthropists and, you know, people who run, who are in charge of funds at foundations. So new program officers who all of a sudden their foundation decides that they want to fund climate. Well, where do they go to learn about climate solutions? Right. And we, we actually get asked by a lot of philanthropists and foundations pretty, pretty frequently to kind of give them a primer. So this will help with that. I think it could also help a venture capitalist who want to figure out whether or not the latest and greatest, uh, you know, startup related to a climate solution has legitimacy because, you know, we're completely, we're a nonprofit. We're, um, we, we're in the business of making sure that the science is accurate and uh, we want to communicate it well. So I think that the videos will have a number of different audiences who will be interested in them. And then what our plan is, is to start uh, thinking about what kinds of supports do we want to build around them? And also what kind of partnerships do we want to build with other organizations to really amplify climate solutions uh, in, in new areas? And I can talk more about that if you want to hear more about what the partnerships are likely to look like. Yeah, that, that'd be awesome. Would love to hear about that. So one of the partnerships that we have had for a while and continues to just be awesome is with a group called ecochallenge.org. And they have a specific challenge called the Drawdown Eco Challenge. And we get asked by by people really often, like, well, it's great that you're you've got all these climate solutions, but a lot of them I can't I can't do anything directly about. And and that's, you know, partially true. I mean, we model the solutions at a global level and it's hard to move from a global level into your personal life. Uh, But that's exactly what our partners at um, the Drawdown Eco Challenge have done. They've taken all of the solutions that we have identified as being, you know, really viable climate solutions that can get us to draw down and they've made them applicable to individuals. So for things like, um, refrigerant management, which you might not think about as something that we can do, they they have resources about how you can learn more. And um, and they have, you know, other ways that you can get involved in these solutions that people might not initially think of. And so that's a really great partnership with them for people who are interested in l- learning more about the Project Drawdown framework and, and the specific climate solutions and also um, interested in kind of tracking their behavior changes over time. So Drawdown Eco Challenge is is great. Uh, we also have a partnership with the Solutions Journalism Network. And the Solutions Journalism Network is a really great group of journalists that curate content from around the world that's focused on solutions. So they have a whole track focused on climate solutions. And they've also aligned those to the project drawdown framework and the climate solutions that we have. And so for people who want to kind of learn about solutions in action in the world, that's an incredible resource for them to look at. And for educators, they've actually created discussion guides that you can just, uh, you can either use whole whole hog or you can modify and and make it your own and share that with your students. So there's, you know, really great opportunities for reading critical like critical news articles about different climate solutions in action. And so those are, you know, those are a couple pieces of the puzzle. We also have a, a new partnership with the Environmental Sustainability Rotary Action Group, which is 
uh, part of Rotary International, uh, the Rotary clubs that are all over the world. And they have about 1.2 million Rotarians around the world. And yeah. And, you know, one of the things that's exciting about that project or that um, partnership is that they are people of action, right? Like they are in their communities, they are trusted uh, leaders in their communities, and they have decided they want to make the environment one of their areas of focus, one of the areas that they fund projects for. And they're now looking to us at Project Drawdown as partners in helping create the framework and also the content around why people should care. Because a lot of us, I mean, let's be honest, we've got a million things going through our head at any given time. How do we, you know, capture a little bit of that attention and inspire someone to care about a climate solution and then actually do something about it? It's not super easy, right? I mean, I think, you know, the three of us are part of that choir, but there's an awful lot of people who aren't part of that choir and understandably so, you know, they've got a whole lot of other things, especially in the midst of um, of this COVID-19 pandemic where they're trying mm-hmm. to figure out what they're going to do with their kids and schooling and work and on and on, like juggling all these things. I think uh, the reality is that uh, climate solutions can unfortunately take a back burner. And, and we need to like, you know, make sure we're meeting people where they're at and also inspiring them to keep climate solutions as, you know, part of what all of us are thinking about every day. Yeah. And I think that's where the, the multi-benefit aspect of it comes in. Um, and I'm hopeful that in the trillions of dollars that are going to be spent in recovery in the coming months and year, I hope a lot of that goes to these win-wins of putting people back to work on climate solutions. So that's, that's what I'm holding out hope for on that front. I am Um, on your team for that, Ryan, for sure. (laughs) And just really hopeful that, I mean, we think about what the civilian conservation Corps did, right. In terms of just being able to build incredible infrastructure related to our state and national parks, right. And how might we, use that model or a similar model to really rally everyone around climate solutions that to your point, have these incredible co-benefits that help, help both the planet and society thrive. Yeah, totally. I had a one other thought from a little earlier, but still, still relates. And that is getting this down to the level of why does this matter to me? Like the, that individual personal level of how does this play into my life or my situation? And I think, especially for, for universities, if you can kind of bridge that somehow, cause you know, there's 80 or a hundred solutions and drawdown. And if there's a way to let people know what the most impactful solutions are, in their city or their university, for example, uh, I think that's a fantastic way to get people going on, okay, here's the top five that we can kind of tangibly get our hands around and do something about. And I think there's a real opportunity there for climate work to be integrated with the curriculum and people actually learning by doing and, and pushing solutions forward. So I'm Something you said in there struck that thought with me, and I'm, I hope more and more universities uh, start doing that and students maybe ask for it. We'll see. 
Well, so what, what I hear you saying, Ryan, and what I really love about that is just that in a, well, first of all, taking global solutions and making them local and making them relevant. And then also really aligning action within institutions and cities, right? So Mm -hmm. one way, while, you know, our solution set is at the global level, some are applicable in some areas, others are not, right? But, you know, the people who do that work and who are best positioned to figure out which local solutions make sense are actually people at the local level, right? And so giving them the space and authority and just the agency to do that is really critical. And so I would recommend for anybody trying to figure out what they can do in their local area to look at, to first reach out to your local government and find out whether or not they have a climate action plan. I was really fortunate to get to work on San Francisco's latest climate action strategy that will be unveiled later this year. Uh, I specifically worked on the sustainable consumption aspect of it, which was a whole new area for me to think about as we think about how do we ensure that the things we're consuming in the San Francisco Bay Area, specifically in the city of San Francisco, uh, have the lowest climate impact possible. And so as part of that process, we come up with goals, right? So how might a, um, you know, how might a student or how might just a, a citizen in San Francisco use that climate action strategy to inform the actions that they can take, not only in their personal life, but also the actions that they can either lead or be part of within their community. And I would also say, so for, I would say that makes, um, that's a good step within the community space. And then within universities or schools, even for example, um, San Francisco Unified School District has a climate action plan. And so if teachers want to really align their curriculum and make it really relevant and relatable, they can work with the sustainability team at San Francisco Unified to align to the actual goals the district is trying to meet. And that's the same at the university level. Lots of universities now have climate action plans. And so for professors or for students who are looking for ways to have meaningful um, connections to climate work, reach out to the sustainability office or the office of the president and and find out what the goals are and really leverage those goals to put more solutions into action. Love that. I was just going to ask you about that too. So yeah, that's, that's awesome advice. Because so, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, folks, right? Like, let's not, there are so many wheels out there. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's where my, you know, my perspective is like, let's just make sure that we find the wheels that are appropriate to our local context and let's use those wheels. 100%. So for for students or teachers who, I'm thinking of this in two ways, like some schools have a climate action plan Others might not, or the climate action plan could just be kind of fuzzy, depending on, you know, who made it. But say there isn't one yet. Do you have any recommendations for students or teachers of where to look to kind of jumpstart that process? Is there any like examples that stand out as like, oh, this is kind of the gold standard or these are the best practices and getting in touch with these folks over in San Francisco or wherever else? Is there any recommendations you would have for people who just want to get started? Sure. I think, you know, I'm not very familiar. And so this is all with like a very limited 
uh, viewfinder from mm-hmm. from my perspective. But the the two groups I've worked with um, a bit in the Bay Area are actually the San Mateo Office of Education, and so there the the San Mateo County has a sustainability team. I think it's just two people, but they do incredible work within the K-12 space. Uh, I've mentioned San Francisco Unified School District. They also do incredible work in the K-12 space. Uh, in the higher ed space, I'm not as familiar. Uh, Ryan, what's the group that that you mentioned about the, the association with higher ed and sustainability? Oh, they're called ASHI, I think. they have. It's like the STARS program. You got it. Yeah. So I'm not super familiar with that. I mean, I know a little bit about uh, Stanford and and UC Berkeley's programs and just kind of the whole UC system, University of California system. They did a cool campus challenge where they were working on some student and staff and faculty engagement related to uh, their climate goals, which I thought was was really great. So they, you know, have their system-wide sustainability goals, but they know they can't meet them without everybody actually stepping up. And so they came up with um, the cool campus challenge and had all of the campuses compete against one another. So, um, you know, I think they've got some great, great plans. Stanford does as well. And just also recognizing that taking a first step is is amazing, right? Like you're yeah. not going to necessarily have a perfectly baked plan with everybody aligned and ready to go and fully funded within a year. And for those those students who are at an undergraduate institution for maybe four years, or maybe they're just there for three years if they're studying abroad or something, um, just know that you are part of a much bigger puzzle, right? And while it might not, you might not see the fruits of your labor within the time that you are at that university, the work that you're putting in will be part of the of the change that needs to happen in the system. So I think it can get a little discouraging in this age of instant gratification where we all want to see something real soon from the work that we've done. And unfortunately, just because sustainability and, and climate solutions writ large are really interdependent and interconnected with lots of other parts of these complex systems, it can take a little bit of time. Now, that doesn't mean give up. That means keep pushing hard, but also don't get discouraged if something that you're pushing for um, gets derailed because these systems are super complex and sometimes they're just dependent on like one person approving something. And if that person had a bad day, it might not get approved, but don't give up. Like just figure out how to get through to another person who can approve it or something, right? Like keep keep going, keep putting one one foot in front of the other. And I would say what I do often because climate can get uh, can be a bit of a bummer sometimes is just kind of remember the the reason why you're doing what you're doing, right? Yeah. Like what is it? Yeah, why do you wake up in the morning and care about working on climate solutions and and keep that close to you and hold on to that when the going gets tough. That's so true. What, what is that for you? The why? You know what? I, it, I'm trying to think if it changes. Um, the why for me on one kind of weird level is just that like, I'll take myself up to Mars or even just the moon, let's say, and look down on the earth and just be like, wow, we are so fortunate that we get to live 
on the only planet in this whole universe that we know that can support life. What a gift. And how can I be the best steward possible on this incredible gift? And so it's part of a, a gratitude value. And then it's part of a, and, and to be totally honest, I don't use this one very much because it makes me really sad, but I have two young boys and, you know, sometimes I'll think about leaving them, leaving them, you know, a healthy planet and a healthy society to live in. But quite honestly, that is not as motivating to me because then I start to kind of spiral out and I'm like, oh my God, but what if it isn't right? Or what if it, what if things are, ah, and there's just, there's just so much I can't control in that. So I don't hold on to that. And I know that does work for a lot of people, right? Thinking about their children or their grandchildren or, you know, their, their loved ones. For me, it's more of a sense of awe, I think, and gratitude for being able to be on this third rock from the sun that is part of something so much bigger than us and really wanting to be the ancestors that our descendants deserve, (laughs) right? So making sure that we are stewarding this place, you know, in the most incredible way to make sure that um, many, many, many future generations can enjoy the, you know, the spaces that we've been able to enjoy. Yeah. Very beautiful. Indeed. So I'd, I'd love to know, Elizabeth, this is kind of just a fun question, but if you had a billboard, theoretically, that millions of people would see, what would you put on that? Millions of people would see my billboard. Mm-hmm. Um, Wow. Wow. See, this is where, this is where, welcome to my brain, but this is where I'm going to get a little paralysis by analysis because I'm going to like think through every, because initially I came first, what came to mind and maybe, maybe you should just give me like five seconds, but was be kind, right? I think being kind is so important, especially now when we've all got, you know, extra layers of complexity that we're dealing with. Um, And I think it relates to the planet as well as to people, right? Let's just be kind. But then my, so, and then my brain also went to like, take a deep breath and, and thank, (laughs) and thank the trees and the ocean and, you know, like, and like something to tie in our survival to the health of the planet. Right. And how there's that intertwined, you know, very critical connection there. And I don't have the right words for it because then I started thinking about, oh, well, this is where my educator brain went like, okay, wait, do we have the scaffolding possible in most people's schemas to understand whether or not that, how, how that would, how that would hold with their mental models. (laughs) So (laughs) that's what happened in my brain. So you're welcome. Welcome to my brain. (laughs) We're going to, we're going to get you a few billboards then and and you can do them all. (laughs) Do you know how much those cost in San Francisco? Anyway. (laughs) My other question that I'm planning on asking everyone who comes on here is what is what are the top couple books that you recommend people read and why and that can just be like your favorites or some that you give as a gift the most uh what comes to mind so um i'll definitely recommend the drawdown review which is the latest publication we have from project drawdown because i just think it's the prose is beautiful the research is rock solid you know talking about why we need solutions, what are some of the 
accelerators we need to be thinking about to ensure the co-benefits of these solutions. So that one's kind of a, of course, I'm going to say that, right? Um, One of the books that was really and still is really transformative for me is, is quite old. It's actually, um, you know, I don't, I think he wrote it in the, I don't know, 1940s or something, a sand County almanac by Aldo Leopold. And he just has these beautiful essays. One of which, one of my favorites is called thinking like a mountain and really grounding ourselves in how does a mountain think, right? Like what has that mountain seen over the course of its many, many centuries? Um, and how can we think more like a mountain? And so that that from kind of a, a grounding in the environmental movement, connecting us to nature, I would highly recommend. Um, I love love that book. And then, you know, I give a lot of kids books away just because I have friends who have kids and, um, there's a lovely, um, it's a lovely children's book by an author named, um, John J. Muth and it's called, uh, Zen ties. And the, the reason I like Zen ties, and it's not particularly, it's not specifically about environmental topics, but it's, um, it's actually, there's, there's all of these stories based on compassion and friendship that really is a beautiful way to think about what we hold on to in life and what we let go of and how to kind of move through this world more lightly instead of so tightly. Does that make sense? I think we could all use some more of that. I might have to get that for myself. (laughs) I love that book. It is my all-time favorite children's book. I think I'm going to go find it and read it over lunch, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. If there are people in crowdsourcing sustainability who love what you're doing, love what Drawdown is doing, and want to help get involved, what should they do? I would love to have them reach out to us. We've got a contact form on our website, drawdown.org. Feel free to contact us. And we we actually do check it. So it's it's not a necessarily a black hole. Um, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn, um, Elizabeth Bagley. And I'd be happy to, you know, I, I'm always happy to do informational interviews and kind of pay it forward, right? And, and pay it backwards too, right? Like I've had so many incredible people mentor and shepherd me through this journey. And I am really happy to, to reciprocate and, um, and support other folks on their journeys. And also think about how I I love thinking about the connective tissue among different organizations. So if you're looking, if you're interested in partnering with something, uh, with, with something you're working on, I'm always happy to think through that as well. Awesome. And if there's one key takeaway, you could, have the listeners remember, what would it be? That solution, climate solutions are all around us and find the best place where you can start and start putting them into action. Awesome. Love it. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh my gosh. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you too for being so fun to talk to. Of course. So that is the end of our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, you may also appreciate signing up for the Crowdsourcing Sustainability newsletter that I write most weeks. This will also give you access to our CS Slack community. 
And there's a link to that in the show notes, along with several other links we referred to today. Lastly, please do consider giving us a review to help us grow this community and get this information out to more people. We would really, really appreciate that. And I think that is all we've got for you today. So thank you again. Take care and we'll talk to you soon.